Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Cameron Howard. And joining us today is Mark Granquist, who's an associate professor here of, of History of Christianity. Uh, thanks for joining us, Mark. Glad to be here with you this morning. Mark, your essay opened up some wonderful um, questions for us about the Bible as a material object and the way that technology is changing how we read the Bible. Would you talk a little bit first about how the Bible has functioned sort of iconically in American life or in Christian households? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the so-called religions of the book, you know, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, they've invested centuries in sanctifying and making holy uh, the writings that they have, and not just not just the content of them, but oftentimes the very physical text. And so, uh, Protestantism, with its in America, with its emphasis on biblicism, has done the very same thing. Uh, you know, we for a long time just made the Bible look like a holy book. Like it's something it had to look different. different. Yeah. It couldn't be the same kind of book. It wasn't the same kind of book. Right. Shiny edges, leather yeah. covers. Words big. of re- uh, Jesus in red. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and find... Well, maybe like every once in a while, like they might put like the Odyssey in some like cool, cool binding so that it looks like an old book or something. But otherwise, the Bible is... Yeah, we, we gild it. We... There's a sense in which the, the book itself, not just the words, but the book itself is holy and yeah, the practices. Exactly. The sense was that this is a, um, a book that is different than all other books, a format that is different than all other formats. At the same time, there was an expectation, at least in many circles, that every family have a Bible, right? So that it's a special book, but that it, there be mm-hmm. one of these special books. Absolutely. There was a special place on the coffee table for, uh, for that book. And uh, especially when your great aunts or the pastor came to visit, uh, that book got uh, carried out of the closet. Or dusted put, or something. Or dusted, yes. <laughs> I like the, how you put this, Cameron. There's a sense in which they're both special and ubiquitous, that the Bible is both has to be put in the special book, in a bigger book with big text and gilded edges. But it also is everywhere. Everyone has one. It's in every hotel room in the nation. Right, yeah. I mean, the Gideons go out and make sure that everybody gets one. And, and you know, a sign of your piety is if you have a a good, very expensive leather-covered Bible that you you take with you all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can both buy covers for it to preserve it. This is in the cultures I grew up in. There's this. Or there's almost this mark of of, of useful. uh, It's been used. Right, if it's been worn it's out, it's falling, falling apart, apart a bit, or something like that. Just, yeah. Well, and lots of people uh, would would take notes in their Bible. Mm-hmm. They would note uh, not only events but sermons and other sorts of things like this. I mean, it, it, there were people who used it uh, on a regular basis. They didn't all just sort of sit in the closet. Which is another interesting tension because if it, if it's sacred and holy, it's odd should, then that we could should be able to write should all you over be able it. To write anyway, yeah. Right. So I, I think it says to us there's something cultural about how the Bible functions for us. But as you point out, <clears throat> there's the cultural function of the Bible and its presence, mm-hmm. and then there's people actually reading it. And that there, I think, I wonder if the ways that we've iconified—is that a word? I don't know. We'll make it up a word. <laughs> that, that the ways good. that we've iconified or iconed the Bible has made it both everywhere and also uh, created barriers around it for us to read it. Oh, I think absolutely. I think text of scripture, then, of course, is is antique. 
and purposefully antique. I mean, when they put together the uh, King James Bible in the 16th century, it was already at that time antiquated English. Hmm. Really? Yeah. It, oh. it was not. Uh, it was not the particular ways in which. Yeah, you know, it, it wasn't even modern in the, so in the is 16th it, century. Is it kind of like all the Bible movies? Everybody speaks uh, in British accents right, to make yes, it sound exactly. old or something. I don't know what that's. Yeah. So the thing is that that yes, in a, in a very sort of a backhanded sort of way, by trying to make the text holy by by saying that this is a sacred text, uh, you're removing it from people's experience, and and that has at over the period of time meant that. Um, People will will feel intimidated by it. Yeah. So enter the internet <laughs> and digital access to the Bible, which, on the one hand, it seems like at least for people who have access to the internet, who can afford and um, mm-hmm. who can afford the internet, that having the Bible everywhere accessible on the World Wide Web, we're able to have it on our iPads and iPhones, um, other smartphones. Um, that should, at least in theory, make it accessible in a way that having to carry around the physical book doesn't. But do you see some limitations to that? Well, I mean, I think the the electronic version's access to the Bible, instantaneous, is just a, a continuation of a of a 20th century trend of trying to demystify the Bible. I mean, the Bible, you know, the before electronic versions, then the Bible was issued in, you know, in paperback, and it was issued in modern language, and it was issued in uh, street uh, slang, and uh, it was always put in, you know, bright covers for kids and other kinds of things. In other words, there, there was an, an, an attempt in the 20th century, I think, in terms of publishing, to present the Bible as more user-friendly. You could mm-hmm. enter it. In that sense, I think the electronic version is just sort of a continuation of that. The only, and I'm not I'm trying to be grumpy about this. I'm just trying to think. Be grumpy. About, we need this. Well, yeah. yeah okay, but, but what I'm thinking about is what does the uh, you know we've built for centuries. We've built this sense that the text is holy, mm-hmm. uh, and you know especially you know you go into certain places you go you know Orthodox Judaism or something like that. They have an intense reverence for the text. Um, and I just wondered out loud uh, what what happens when text is something that sort of flits across the screen and then disappears. Does that change the way that people look at the Bible, say, as the Word of God, as the yeah. permanence, uh, the unchanging, the authority kind of thing like that? It strikes me, I think, that medium matters, that it's not just these words, right, that it matters if you're reading the words on an iPad, on a digital screen, or you're reading it in your paperback Bible, or you're reading it in some medieval, beautifully adorned manuscript, that the experience of reading that word matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we kind of relate to it, I think, changes, I think, both for good and for bad, right? That there's a sense in yeah. which the Internet allows us to democratize this word. Anybody can have access to it if you have the access and the devices and all that. We've, in a sense, kind of demystified it, maybe desacralized it. But I wonder if we do gain some stuff and lose some stuff along oh, the way. So before we started, you know, in some church traditions, um, the pastors will walk in with the gospel in a beautifully adorned book. Could they get away with doing that with an iPad? Well, in, in certain generations, perhaps, right? That, yeah. that there's a sense in which it's, you know, why is an iPad less sacred than a printed book? You know, or is it the text itself? But yet the, how we interact with the text will change radically depending on 
where we're reading it. And that's where I think the line between icon and idol comes in, Mm -hmm. because I think that if we, you know, an icon points us to God, right, points us to Mm -hmm. holiness, whereas an idol distracts us from God and from holiness. So if the medium is pointing us toward God more than, you know, if there's something about that physical book that helps us helps bring us into the presence of God, then we should seek after that. But if there's something about simply having the book and thinking that that's sort of self-executing, if you just have it there, then you totally understand it, um, then that seeps into Mm -hmm. idolatry. And at that point, we need to reconsider. Yeah, and and we live in an in-between culture. I mean, we grew up with print, and print is still ubiquitous in our world in, in many ways. But we also have the electronic that becomes increasingly available to people. And you think about what it might be in future generations, what, you know, how they might understand yeah. it. I, I thought of, um, as I was writing this, I thought of a scene from Star Trek, The Next Generation, and Jean-Luc Picard, the captain, on his desk. You know, he's got this, you know, all these electronic screens and everything else like that. But he has a single copy of the works of Shakespeare (laughs) in in a physical bound volume. And I'm just thinking, you know, is that what's going to be in the future? Is that actually maybe even books become more iconic? Mm. So I think we play. I mean, you know, if you think about public worship, uh, if you think about the ways in which it might be really interesting for kids and future generations to actually see the Bible in print. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a strange device. Yeah. I do wonder, too, if it, in the end, though, so whether it's it, it's digital or print, that people don't read the Bible as much. I think less because of, you know, kind of physical barriers, you know, the gilded edges or things like that. But I wonder if sometimes people don't know where to start. Uh, they don't know what to do when they encounter complicated texts. And in the end, people don't know how to answer the so what question. That if the Bible doesn't tell you to do X, Y, and Z in this, you know, ABC moment, then we sometimes don't know what to do with it. So what do we do with these strange stories and these um, prophetic visions when we, uh, you know, they're not, there's not a one-to-one correlation so often between what we read in the Bible and what I should do this afternoon. Yeah, and that's absolutely correct. And if you think about this, American culture especially in the 18th and the 19th century, was so formulated by biblical images and biblical metaphors and other sorts of things like that. I mean, people lived in a world in which you quoted the Bible and it sort of helped the world make sense. I mean, the, the, the greatest theologian that we've had in the 19th century in America was Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. If you look at his, <laughs> at, his, at his use of the Bible, I mean, yeah. it, it just formulated his world. Now, he wasn't much of a Christian, but his world was saturated with biblical metaphor. Hmm. We don't have that support anymore. People increasingly find that uh, the text of the Bible and the words of the Bible and the concepts of the Bible to be foreign, which is both a place of entry but also a, a barrier. So... I mean, it, now it's the idea, can you read this book again in a new way? Can it be a fresh text for you in this sense? It, that's the opportunity. Mark, thanks very much for writing for us and for having the conversation with us today. Glad to be with you. Thank you for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find out more information at enterthebible.org. Join us again. Mm-hmm.